Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today in the show, we have the head coach of Sacred Heart University, John Basti. Coach Basti is a graduate of Fairfield University. He started his coaching career at Sacred Heart. He then moved on to be the head coach at Eastern Connecticut State. He then went back to his alma mater to be an assistant coach at Fairfield. After Fairfield, he was the assistant coach at Lafayette before moving on to Hartford. He's now in his sixth year as the head coach at Sacred Heart. Since taking over as head coach, Coach Basti has led his team to their winningest seasons in program history. Today in the show, Coach Basti and I got a chance to talk about making quick decisions, routines, having fun, loving where you go to school, bringing the dive back, and much more. Here's my interview with Coach Basti. Coach Basti, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, but let's get started like I always do. How did you get started playing lacrosse? Um, actually I was a hockey player and one of my friends that I played hockey with showed up one day to school with a lacrosse stick. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And, um, it turns out a couple of friends of our families, one of uh, a family that we used to hang around with because the guy that I used to play baseball with this kid, uh, Glenn Tuma, Mm -hmm. his two older, they all, the whole family, the whole Tuma family played lacrosse and his older brother, Gary played at BC when BC had a team. And his yeah. other older, his his middle brother, who's still older than him, Craig, played at Providence. And um, this kid Glenn was a year older than me. And like we were family friends, and our families did everything together. They, I showed they they were babysitting me for lack of a better term. One day I was hanging yeah. out with them, and they were like, "Hey, check this out!" And they gave me a lacrosse stick, and that was back in like sixth grade, I think. And ever huh. since then, I've kind of been, I was interested in it, and. In New Jersey, back when I was little, when I was growing up, um, there was no lacrosse except in the all year round, really, except for um, Rutgers lacrosse camp in the summer. Mm-hmm. And so I go two weeks at Rutgers lacrosse camp every summer, back when camp was like six days long. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I used to do that, and it was a lot of fun. And then when I went to high school, I started playing freshman year, and that was pretty much it. Playing did- freshman, freshman lacrosse at St. Joe's High School in McCutcheon which was interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. And did, uh, so was it just lacrosse or did you continue playing hockey and any other sports? Oh, I continued playing hockey and I actually played baseball too. I played American Legion baseball. Um, I would go from lacrosse practice in high school right after school to American Legion practice at like six o'clock huh. pretty much every day from April and starting in April or the end of April into May. And um, I played hockey for, club in new jersey and also for high school so 
I was pretty busy from like September, really the whole year. Hockey, club hockey started in like August. Yeah, it sounds so like it. Was, it. Uh, yeah, but it was fun, man. I love playing hockey. Is like my favorite sport. It's I love playing hockey. I think you can learn a lot from playing hockey. Yeah, from any sport, and um, we use a lot of hockey terminology with our in our program. Um, we have a lot of hockey players on our team, and we recruit mm-hmm. hockey players. Right. I think right. they're 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 a special breed. You know what I mean? Yeah, ho- hockey. Hockey definitely seems like a skill set that translates really well to lacrosse. Can can you talk about maybe some of the things that you learned from hockey that you brought into your lacrosse game? Uh, compete level, I think, is the number one thing. Um, I, uh, being able to make decisions very quickly, offensively and defensively, mm-hmm. and um, like really kind of rely not not really having the ability to make a lot do a lot being coached while you're playing like you can be coached when you're on the bench but when you're on the ice it's like you have to make decisions very it's so fast right um and i think i learned that that was something that was really um that was really important to me um in uh in playing lacrosse is i was able to um i was able to really take that skill set of being of making quick decisions mm-hmm. on the ice and put that on the lacrosse field and it kind of made lacrosse a little it made me made picking up the game and learning the game of lacrosse a little bit easier right because i took it from like that hockey perspective right but to compete that well in the toughness is definitely the number one and two things i learned um from playing hockey gotcha makes sense and i'm curious because we don't have a lot of uh baseball players on the show um <laughs> do you feel like there was anything you learned oh, I from love baseball, baseball. Yeah, I know that might be that I might that that that's like sacrilegious, but I love baseball, <laughs> man. I'm a huge Mets fan, and you can laugh, but I'm a huge Mets fan, and I've always been a huge Mets fan. My family are big baseball people, and um, I just I love baseball. I, I love the the chess match of it, and right. I I like being a, a baseball fan and watching a lot of baseball all year round. I just feel like that when it's like a tight game especially in the playoffs or late in the season when it's a tight game and it's you you're you're winning in the ninth inning and your closers in the game there's so much stress in that moment and it's like every pitch is so important right um it's just a cool feeling to be part to see that and to be part of that but um you know i just think back to like watching in in 2015 and like every pitch of the playoffs with the mets it was like it was so important and it was so gut-wrenching right. um and the same thing in like 06 07 and 08 and then in 99 2000 um 2001 you know it was so exciting those times for me as a mess and in 86 it was like so everything in 88 too it was so like every pitch was just oh god it was rough right. it was so much fun and it's like i think that's the best thing about sports you know what i mean the uh, so I think you're I think you're totally right. Baseball has um, it's got a lot of pressure. It teaches you how to it teaches you how to play well under pressure, but also the strategic aspect, which you touched on a lot. That's the stuff that I really like. It it is it is like playing a chess game. It's like playing a three hour chess game, basically. Yeah, it's, yeah, three hours. That's, right. that's probably the negative part of it. But it's like right. I just, I love going to baseball games too. It's like so much fun fun going to City Field or going to Yankee Stadium and. I'm a big fan of like if I'm in a different city for a recruiting event in the summer, I like to go to different games and different you go to places. a baseball game. Except Philadelphia, yeah, Philadelphia, I'll never go there. Yeah, that's been. <laughs> I can I can definitely respect that. Although I'm surprised to, to talk to somebody who's from New Jersey that's 
that's a Mets fan, not a well, Yankees fan. I thought I went the other way. So I was originally born in Brooklyn, New York, and I lived in Brooklyn until I was about 10 or 11 years old. Okay. And my, um, I had split. My family was split. Half my family were Mets fans. Half my family were Yankee fans. Mm-hmm. And my first baseball game was a Yankee game. My my aunt who used to watch me and my mom would work. Would, my mom was a school teacher, so when she was at work, I went to my aunt's house during the day, who lived like in the next apartment older from us. Right. And she was a huge Yankee fan. She loved Ron Guidry. Um, huh. But for some reason, I just became a Mets fan. I don't understand why. Um, I just I, I did. I just became a Mets fan, and ever since then, I've absolutely loved them. Listen, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I got a lot of friends who are who are Mets fans, and I feel like you definitely you have a you have a greater appreciation for winning. And for the hardships <laughs> in life when you're a Met fan. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. Oh, <laughs> but um, but let, let's move on to your time in college. Uh, what made you decide on Fairfield? Um, it's funny. I was actually going to Providence. Like I was signed. Hmm. I, I wanted to go to Holy Cross. That was the place I wanted to go to. Um, for me, when I was like a junior, sophomore in high school, I really wanted to go to Navy. Like I wanted hmm. to be in the Naval. I wanted to go to the Naval Academy. I wanted to be in the Navy. But I just didn't have the grades to get in there at all. Right. Um, I was a pretty good student, but nowhere near that. My SATs were, were not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, okay, Holy Cross is really, really cool. We had a, had a couple of friends that graduated from my high school that were playing in Holy Cross. So I went and checked it out. I loved it. Um, but I couldn't get in. Again, SAT issues. Hmm. And so um, I was like, all right, I applied to Providence. And I got in and I loved Providence, but I just wasn't like, completely sold on it i don't know why i didn't really like the city i didn't like the i didn't want to be in the city i love province the city i didn't like being in the city um and so for one of our the same family the tuma family their um the the, their uh sister heather tuma played field hockey at fairfield Mm -hmm. so one day she was like hey man just what she said my mom like why don't you guys come up and check it out i was like yeah so let's see what it's like so we went up there and we we met with her and I toured the campus and it was one of those things where as soon as I drove on the campus, I looked at my mom and I was like, I'm going to school here. Like, I'm going to school here. I was already like going to Providence. I had that. I was already had deposited in, like I was already set. Um, and so, but I was like, I really want to, I, and so I ended up going to Fairfield hmm. and you know, I, it wasn't like I, I had, a, I, I was, I was going to be on the lacrosse team in Providence, but I didn't get any scholarship money. So I did, wasn't like, it was really a big deal. So right. I called the coach of Fairfield who was, um, Oh man, you know what? I forgot who it was, but, um, he, it was a different, it, it was a certain, it was one individual who ended up leaving before I got there. And then Ted Spencer became my head coach for my freshman year, midway through the year. But, um, I just knew it. I knew it. Like I, we drove on, we drove up the Merritt and I was like, ah, this is interesting. Right. And then when we got on, when we got to campus, we literally drove on campus and I was just looking around out the window of the car. And I was like, this is where I want to go. Huh. So it, it sounds was, like, it sounds like you, you almost followed your gut a little bit. Is that, is that what you tell the kids when you talk to them about when they're looking for a school that they need to sort of trust their instincts? Well, I, I, it's funny. Cause I was just having this, conversation with a, with uh, one of our my son's one of our family friends um whose daughter is a soccer player and she's a junior she's looking at she's looking at schools right now and she's a um she wants to go pre-med very bright student very good soccer player and she's like i don't know what to do i don't know i don't know what to do here do i go d3 what she's freaking out and like right. her, her parents are all freaking out because of the process and i'm like listen the most important thing 
that I look for and that we tell people is it's all about the school, right? You need to feel comfortable in school because God forbid something happens to you right. where you can't play anymore. You have to love where you're going to school. Right. And there's so many different factors in that. And I think that was, that's something that I did when I got to Fairfield. It's like, I love the school. Right. And, you know, regardless of lacrosse, this is where I was going to go to school. Right, right. Gotcha. Gotcha. And and when you when you first arrived on campus, you know, sort of following your gut where it felt right, did you feel like it was a fit right away or were there any um, transition issues? Oh, there's tons of transition issues. I'm the, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm a bit of a mama's boy. You know, it's like I, I'm a homebody. I love being right. home. And um, it's hard to get. It's, it's hard. It's like it, it's it's when you go from being home and like being and being in one place and then moving away, even though it was only about two hours away, it was still right. away. Right. And it was right. at first, it was difficult for me um, for me, kind of the first couple of weeks. And then I kind of got used to it. I kind of got into a routine and practice started and it didn't help that we didn't have a coach. Like my freshman year, the month of September, we didn't have a coach. Huh. So we didn't know what the hell was going on. Like right. we kind of practiced a little bit. Right. We kind of did get some captain stuff. And the team, the guys on the team were awesome. Like, I loved my teammates. Mm -hmm. But it was just like, eh, what is going on here? And then we got a coach. And things that's when things kind of settled in for me. Um, and, you know, it was – I became very comfortable in my surroundings. And I started making some new friends. And it was uh, – it was it was it ended up being a great year my freshman year. I had a, I had a, good, I had a good year. I had a lot of yeah. fun. Why do you think it got more comfortable once you guys hired a coach? Did that coach have anything to do with making you feel more comfortable on campus? Um, I think it was just the fact that there was stability. Hmm. You know, as a, as a freshman, you have no idea what the hell is going on. Like, you're right. freaking out. You have, like, new classes, new friends. Your parents aren't there. you got to wake up at 6 a.m. for lifting. you got, like, a class on one end of the one side of campus when practice is on the other. You have a classroom here, and then you got to run to another classroom over there. I'm starving. I haven't eaten all day. Right. There's so many things that are, you know, God forbid you have a girlfriend who's at a different school or still home. You know, those are all, which I had, mm -hmm. you know, so those are all issues that you have to deal with freshman year. And there was no stability of somebody that's just kind of there to be, to be there if you needed them. And eventually that person showed up for whatever reason, whether or not I used Coach Spencer for that or not. It was just somebody there. It was just right. a, it was somebody that like kind of started. Um, we we started having regular practices, so we had a schedule, and you knew what to expect. And we started our schedule. We lifted. We started our lift schedule, and so everything was going according to the what the way I thought it was supposed to be, not the way it was. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of settles you down, and it gives you once you have that routine, it's something you can fall back on, and it's comfort it's a comfort level that, that, that you have with that right. routine that makes things easier. Right. So what do you do as a head coach, um, you know, dealing with those freshmen, say, you know, the first couple of months of the year, what do you do to sort of make them feel, um, more comfortable those first couple of weeks? Um, I think the, the, it starts before they get here, right. Mm -hmm. It starts in the summer before, and even during the recruiting process, when they come for their official visits, official visits aren't what they used to be. Mm -hmm. You know, now, like when you and I were, were getting recruited, we took five official visits to different schools, you right. know, and funny story when that, that somebody did a thing last year on Mikey Powell being a, uh, going to Fairfield for recruiting a visit. Uh -huh. Tr absolute truth. And he, I hosted him as a senior, just so you know. <laughs> so you know. Um, 
So that is that you know those five those five visits were big then because that made you decide where you were going to go to college. Now our official visits are our committed kids. So we bring them in for a game. They come and they 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 watch the game. They hang out with the guys. And so I think it starts there even before that in the summer because now all these kids know each other, whether it's right. through club or high school. They're all friends with each other, and because of social media, as soon as you get a kid committed. As soon as we commit a kid, all the guys in our team are automatically looking up their highlights and automatically looking, getting like trying to find them and friending them on Facebook and stuff. And, and not Facebook, nobody uses Facebook except all people on Twitter <laughs> and like Instagram. Right. And so they they be, they become familiar with these people, and these people come from become familiar with them. And I think our culture is such with our program to where it's a very inclusive culture to where no matter who you are, where you're from, what you're doing, where you and that none of that matters. All that matters mm-hmm. is that you're part of our team, part of our family, and our guys treat each other as such. Right. Um, we have a good leadership group. We have a, a good kind of secondary leadership group that that really helps with that. And it's um that they're a good group of kids that really take care of each other. And then when they get here, they're already friends with each other. And it doesn't. It also doesn't hurt that we like do some. We we're communicating with them constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can see everything on social media, like what we're doing, what the teams do. Right. So they almost feel part of the program before they get here. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. There's, there's a little bit less of a surprise element because they've already been following you guys and people have been watching them. So they feel a little bit more comfortable those, uh, those first couple of weeks and months. Yeah. Right. And our guys do a great job of making them feel that way. You know, they're not treated as freshmen. They're just treated as teammates. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so uh, so let's go back to the the start of your coaching career. What made you want to start coaching? So I think it was at some point. I was, thought, I was thinking about this, actually, after I saw your questions. Um, I don't remember. It was at some point in high school. My senior year in high school, I was just like, you know what? I really, I really like lacrosse. And I, and, and I wanted to be a teacher. And so I thought it was just perfect. I can teach and coach lacrosse and, and teach high school social studies, which is, that's what I have my master's in. And mm-hmm. um, I can, I can coach lacrosse. And then as I was going through college, um, my sophomore year in college, I blew out my knee so I couldn't play anymore. I had a, it was like, I was done. My knee exploded and oh, I was man. pretty much I was finished. Right. And so I, I, uh, instead of not playing anymore, um, that year, Coach uh, Eric Feckett was actually our assistant coach, and Ted Spencer was our head coach, and they, they asked me if I wanted to kind of be like a student assistant. Um, and I, at first I was like, yeah, I don't want to be just some manager, like hanging around hitting balls. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're student assistant, like you run the box during games and you help with game plan. And they, they promised me they would never put me in a situation that would make me uncomfortable, and they never did. Um, in the two, three years I did this, two and a half years I did this, I was never in an uncomfortable situation. Um, and I, I, you know, that's, that, that was, I thank them for that. They never, you know, so that they, they put me in a position to be successful and I learned a lot. Um, and that's when I realized like coaching is pretty cool. It's hard. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. And, right. um, I thought that like, because of the impact it had on me, maybe it could, who knows what it could do for somebody else. And, um, and so that's kind of when it, when it really happened, a little hmm. started in high school, just from one aspect and then kind of um kept getting the the idea and the, the mindset kept getting stronger and stronger through college and then when i graduated college i ended up doing my master's at fairfield 
And the media center, I worked there multiple hours a week doing a lot of different things, film editing and, and some stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. um, and uh, then I was coaching. I coached at Fairfield in 2000 as kind of a, as a volunteer assistant. Right. And then I left there and I came here to Sacred Heart for mm-hmm. two years, so 11, for 2001 and 2002, while I was getting my master's degree. Um, so that was that kind of solidified what I wanted to do. And I was. I was still going to go with high school coaching and, and teaching the high school teaching and coaching route. But then uh, an opportunity opened up in Eastern Connecticut to be a head coach. And I was like, ah, that sounds pretty cool. Right. So, so I went, yeah, I went so, that. So, so talk about um, how, how did that first job at Sacred Heart as an assistant come about? Um, well, I just known coach Mariano from working with him at, at a uh, blue chip camp in the summer at mm-hmm. Fairfield and, just being in the same town and uh, play, I think we, we played in, in a post-college club together a little bit for a couple of years. Um, but we had been friends and um, it was that, that one summer, summer of 2000 where I was just like, I kind of got to get away from Fairfield. I got to get out of here. And I was hmm. in school here. Like I don't, didn't feel comfortable coaching there anymore. Right. Um, and so, but I was still getting my master's. So I thought, okay, well, Sager Hart's in town and, their D1 school they might need a coach so I just called him and he kind of gave me a, a little bit of an interview during camp and then he called me a couple of days later and asked me if I wanted to come over here and work with him and I did it was a mm-hmm. it was a good move I learned a lot um met a lot of really cool people a lot of which are still here at Sacred Heart um mm-hmm. in the administration but I'm and, and I'm, a lot of guys that played for me then are are alumni now and it was a good it actually made it was kind of one of those things where when I got the job here in 2013, it made things a little bit easier because I already know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was, it was, I think it was a great move for me. And, you know, it's, Coach Mariano was uh, nice enough to give me the opportunity. So, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a good move. It was fun. Gotcha. And uh, if, uh, if you don't mind me, if you don't mind me asking, what about, um, what made you uncomfortable coaching at Fairfield? Was it just because you were coaching with a bunch of former uh, teammates? Yeah, it was all my guys. It was all my friends. You know, right. so I was like, and at this point, it was like I was in a different role. I wasn't just a student assistant anymore, right. and I, I didn't feel comfortable being like, you were screwing up and yelling at them because they were my friends, and it was awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, gotcha. and, and as a college kid, I was still a college kid. Right. I didn't know. What, I didn't know what I was doing. Like, right. I, it was. <laughs> it was just something that I I didn't think was a good situation for me. And after talking to to Fack and and talking to Coach Spencer, I just thought it was a good, the right move for me to. To, to come over here and um you know there was a lot of people that i it, and my parents too my parents were very big um i i talked to my dad a lot about it he's like my dad played football in college so he understood that whole thing and mm-hmm. he was like i i get it i understand what you're saying so right. but it, it ended up being a good opportunity for me and um you know it was it was it was hard being here though because it was a volunteer job but I was still going to school, working, and then my second year I was student teaching. So I was huh. going to school all day teaching. It was a, and student teaching is a full time job. Right. So during the season in the spring, I was student teaching, going to class at night, and then working at night and on the weekends at the media center. So it was, hmm. it was long days, man. But it was, right. it was worth it. It was a hundred percent worth it, and it taught me a lot about like prioritizing and work ethic. Mm-hmm. And so and so you mentioned um, you know after Sacred Heart. You got the the head coaching job at Eastern Connecticut State. Um, how did how did that come about? Especially since you know you only had a few years of assistant coach experience at Sacred Heart. 
Honestly, I have no idea how I got that job. I have no <laughs> idea. So let's, I'll just let's say that right out. Um, I knew about Eastern Connecticut because my best friend played lacrosse there, Eddie Sheehan. He's like the all-time leading scorer um, in New Jersey history before Posca came around. And um, we played together in high school and we were best friends. And he went to school there and he was one of the best players in Eastern Connecticut history. I believe he's in the Hall of Fame at Eastern Connecticut. Um, and they were really, really good. I mean, Eastern Connecticut was a top 10. We were my two years there, we were top 10, top 15 in D3 for two years. And hmm. before I got there, they were, uh, Rick McCarthy had done a great job of bringing in a lot of transfers and getting a lot of players that were really D1 players that ended up just not making it for some reason in D1 and just ended up there. And it was great. They were great kids and it was a, they were very good lacrosse players. Right. And so he retired and then Eddie called me and he, Eddie, my buddy, Eddie had, it was, he was graduating but he called me and he was like, hey, listen, Coach McCarthy's retiring. Are you interested in this? And I was like, yeah. And I had known a lot of the guys that were there um, because I was, I knew a lot of the, the people that were uh, – a lot of the alumni, a lot of the guys that played with Eddie. Right. I knew them um, just from going and seeing him and hanging out with him up there at Eastern um, and going to their games a lot when I could. So I got to know a lot of those kids, and which were then alumni. So – they helped me and I, I got the job there and um, gotcha. I, it was, it was, a, it was a learning experience. I'll tell you that much. It was a right. learning. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that was my next question, you know, especially because, you know, it's your first head coaching job. What were some of the things that you learned uh, those, those years you were at Eastern Connecticut? I learned that something that coach McCarthy told me when I, the first thing he told me when I got the job, I was sitting in his office because he was still um, in admissions there. And I was in, sitting in his office and he goes, John, not just about drawing man up plays. And I was like, oh boy, what did I get myself into? And uh, he's right. I, it was not about drawing man up plays. Right. It was, there were so many other things that, that went into being a head coach um, that it was, it was difficult. It was hard. And I was not prepared mentally or emotionally to do that. I, I was not in the, I, I worked really hard um, and I wanted to be great. And I tried and uh, we, and everybody there, they, everybody tried and we were we were a good team on the field but I was not in the right frame of mind off the field I don't think I was not prepared for what a head coach really had to do right. um and so it made things for me very difficult um and then I ended up not going back to eastern Connecticut um and um kind of looking back on it I was again I was at, I was kind of at a crossroads in my life I was like what am I going to do here am I going to continue to try to coach and do this thing or am I going to try to get a job teaching I passed my board so I was I was certified to teach mm -hmm. I could have went and got a job but then um as again I was working summer camp at Fairfield and um that's when double d uh Daryl Delia was working with uh Spence over there at Fairfield it was like summer of 2004 right. and um they were like hey man listen we need a volunteer would you want to do that? Because there was actually only one paid position, assistant position at Fairfield at the time. The second assistant was a volunteer, if you can believe it. Right. Um, and so I was like, yeah, sounds cool to me. I love Fairfield. I miss being here. It's my alma mater. I, I feel home. I feel comfortable. And what better place to go than a place where you feel comfortable and you feel at home when right. you're kind of in a place where you're, you don't know what to do. Right. Um, yeah. And so I, I did that. And, I called my friends at the media center and they kind of gave, they gave me a part-time job there. So I was able to make some money. I started working at lacrosse unlimited a bunch 
because mm-hmm. um, my Bill Juno, who owned Lacrosse, was a owner of Lacrosse Unlimited, was a friend of mine, and he hired me over down at Lacrosse Unlimited and worked in camps and clinics and nutmeg Sunday camps and with double and and uh, doing the stuff with Coach Spencer with the um with the blue chip stuff. I was able to to scrounge together enough money to be to live and and to to kind of to actually do a pretty to make a pretty good living with the amount of money I was making at camps and stuff like that. Huh. Strung a lot of sticks, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> a lot of sticks that, that uh, Coach Metzbauer and Coach uh, Coach Tierney will tell you, and Coach Raymond up at, at Hobart. I used to work uh, Princeton camp with those guys for many years, and they'll tell you there's a lot of sticks being strung in between sessions and at night. Oh, so, you uh, oh, you were talking about stringing sticks at camp. I thought you were talking about stringing sticks at Lacrosse Unlimited. Oh, That's- both. Both. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I would just sit in the back of Lacrosse Unlimited, and it would be like one stick after another, after right. another, after another, and then uh, stringing sticks at camp was a pretty good side business. To that that, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, I, I worked at Lacrosse Unlimited as well, and that's how I learned how to string sticks. Was just sitting in that back room and just. I mean, you string yeah. like thirty sticks a day. <laughs> it was. It was great. Um, I learned from. I don't know if you remember, but like back in the when you used to have, you can only buy string kits and like STX string kits. They came with like the cool little STX sticker, which is like the yeah. greatest thing ever. Um, mm-hmm. There was a booklet, and that's yep. how I learned how to string sticks through that booklet. What YouTube? Huh. There's no YouTube. Who's YouTube? Yeah, you know, it was right. Right. Yeah, it was just it was it was following that it was following that booklet, and then once you understood sort of what was going on, then you were just like, all right, well. You know, how can I do different things? How do I, you know, like copying other players in the field, looking at, uh, I remember looking at Connor Gill before I went to Virginia and noticing that he had, uh, that had a leather stick with the, um, with the middle, with the middle leathers pulled really tightly together. And I was like, all right, how do you do that? You know, and you just sit there trial and error for like hours, right? Uh, until you figured it out. Um, but okay. So, so. You're back in Fairfield now, and then after Fairfield, you end up as uh, head coach at Hartford. How, how did that job come around? Well, actually, I went to uh, I went to um, Lafayette for a year. Oh, okay. And so after 2000, we, 2005 was great. We won the Great West at Fairfield my first year back there, and we had a really good team. We had a couple of All-Americans, and we had some, some really good young players. 2006 we had a good year we transitioned from the great west into um into the ecac mm-hmm. when the ecac was a brand new league right um and so we 2006 we had some really bad injuries and we lost some really key guys um mm-hmm. but we were able to kind of figure it out and then uh 2007 we started off tremendously but then we finished um we finished not we were like six and oh we were like number 10 in the country we beat bucknell who was number 12 at the time and then all of a sudden we just couldn't get out of our own way and we, we lost a lot of games in 07 and then after that year i was just like i finally become a, a uh my in 2007 the second assistant job at fairfield finally became full-time so i was actually making mm. a decent salary for the first time in my life right but i was just like it started, it started to creep in my mind again, where am I doing the right thing? Am I doing what I'm meant to do? And so I decided after the 2007 season that I was just kind of burnt out. Um, after two years of working like six or eight jobs, trying to make money and like one year of just trying to figure everything out, I just decided that I didn't, um, I didn't want to coach anymore. So I literally, I resigned. I resigned from Fairfield and um, I decided I, I started looking for teaching jobs and that summer I worked a lot of camps and coached a couple of club team, I coached a club team with, with, uh, 
with, with Coach Delia and, and um, I, uh, I kind of fell in love with the sport again, you know, during mm-hmm. the summer. And, and, but I was out, I was done. I was out. I met, I met this girl, um, double actually his daughter introduced me to this girl who, um, was a teacher in Brantford who I ended up eventually engaged, getting engaged to and marrying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and, and so like we would talk about teaching and she was trying to help me find a teaching job. But then midway through the summer, she's like, you're not a teacher, you're a coach. You need to coach. And I was like, all right, you know, it's, it's amazing what, how that, how that can, how that happens, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, Somebody pushed in the right direction. Right. Yeah. And like, she changed my world, you know, she, she, um, gave me a lot of confidence and she was a great support system for me. Um, as well as my parents, again, my family's very tight. I have a very tight, tight, uh, old school Brooklyn Italian family and we're a very tight group of people. And my dad is, uh, my dad's my hero, you know, he's a tremendous individual, and my mom just such a hard worker, um, and I learned a lot from them. And in between those two, and my my then girlfriend, uh, Meg Megan is her name. Mm-hmm. Um, we they they were they were like your coach, man. You got a coach, and and so I called uh, Coach Mangan down at Lafayette. I saw there was a job open. It was kind of late in the summer, and he was like, "You sure you want to?" Be, she, he's like, "Doesn't pay a lot of money," and I'm like, "I just want a coach. I don't care." I just want the opportunity to have my own side of the ball and, and learn on the fly kind of. And so he hired me to be the defensive coordinator and it was awesome. I loved working for him. Terry mm-hmm. Mangan's a great man. Um, yeah. He's one of my all time favorite people in lacrosse and, uh, and he did so much for me and it was actually great being at Lafayette. It was closer to home than I thought. My wife was living here and up in new Haven cause she was working in, in Brantford. And, um, and so I was kind of commuting from Connecticut. I drive home after practice every Saturday at like noon. I drive home and at 4 a.m. on Monday morning, I get back in the car and drive to Eastern Pennsylvania, and then I'd be there for the week. And that's what I would do every week in the fall and in the spring. She came to me. She came to all our games, so right. it was uh, pretty cool. But um, you know, I, uh, I I learned a lot working for Terry. I got to meet Chris Doctor, who was my roommate, and he was our offensive coordinator. So him and I became like best friends and. Um, we were together all the time and it was like one of those things where you think it would get old, but it never was like, I really enjoyed being around him, got to hang out with, um, with coach Lawson. Um, you know, I don't know if you ever met coach Lawson, but he's in, he was a tremendous, tremendous and Bill Lawson was the old coach of Lafayette. He was tremendous individual, one of my all time favorite people. He was our volunteer that year. So I hung out with him all the time. Um, and he, and he was a great, resource for me along with coach Mangan and um, met a lot of different people became pretty tight with the whole UMass crew because of coach Mangan. Um, right. So it kind of broadened my horizons to a different side, to a different group of people than I was used to being with all the time. Um, and, uh, and it was good. It ended up being a good move for me and it ended up being something that kind of restarted and restarted my love for lacrosse and right. kind of jump started my career for right. the third time. So, so I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, you, you resigned and then over that summer, um, you know, you worked a lot of camps, but you were basically stepping back from the sport a little bit, but you mentioned that you fell back in love with the sport. What, what, what was it about that time that made you fall back in love with it? It was just, it was just the sport. I can't really tell you what specifically it was. Yeah. It was honestly, it, it hit me at 205 that summer at Towson. I used to work three sessions at 205 every summer. Like it, mm-hmm. I love 205. It's where I became like me and a bunch of the guys that I hang out with that have become my, like my, my best friends right now. 
there we it started at 205 um and i I, it was during 205 where i was like i love lacrosse man i just Mm -hmm. love doing this i love coaching i love everything about it and just hanging out with messi and in uh a lot too that summer traveling around with him a lot and traveling around with double a lot um it made me just kind of fall back in love with the sport and you know thank god for coach mangan gave me an opportunity um and then um when the hartford job opened in the summer of 07 i was like or sorry the summer of 08 i was like it's an i then um proposed to my 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 girlfriend who's now she's now my fiance we were planning a wedding she lived in connecticut i kind of had to get home like i had to get back home i had to get back to connecticut i i I didn't like being away from her right archer's job opened up and i talked to coach lawrence and we talked a lot and he offered me the job and it was the greatest decision i ever made the Mm. greatest decision i ever made was working for peter lawrence like i love that guy he's just a great person he's a he we became family friends and the amount of times i spent at his house with his wife and his kids and my wife would come up and we'd we'd hang out all the time and Mm. it was um he's a he was a he was a good person to work for because he let me do and same thing with coach mangan they kind of just let me do what i needed to do as long as it was within what they wanted they let me be me they let me coach and they let me learn and it was um it was a it was a really good time for me and and i kind of found exactly what i wanted to do and i found exactly what my passion was in the sport and Mm -hmm. um I, i learned a ton like i learned so much from those guys and kind of behind the scenes helping me was, um, you know, coach Tierney and coach Metzbauer were always kind of there. They were all, I could always call, spent a lot of time with Metzi and in the, in the, watching film, um, spent a lot of time with coach Tierney about defensive stuff and just kind of lacrosse, life of lacrosse. And right. um, those two guys did a lot for me in my career and, and did a lot for me in my life. And so hmm. they, um, they kind of hold a special place for me and my wife. They, you know, they, they were, they were great for both of us. Right. So what, what I'm what I'm hearing is is the common denominator at Lafayette and Hartford is is it was it basically just because you know they they gave you the space to sort of operate freely, sort of to um you know to do things that the way that you wanted to do them. Yeah, they let me be me. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I learned that maybe me was a little too much sometimes, <laughs> so I had to like calm the me down. Right. Um, and I learned that like while I was at Hartford. But um, they let me be me, and I'm a passionate individual. And they kind of let me. They let that. They let me kind of coach like that, and they let me do what I want. Uh, do what I thought was best. Um, right. And again, it was within what Coach Mangan and what Coach Lawrence wanted. But they let me kind of figure it out on my own, and, and I appreciate that. And that's kind of right. the way I am with my with our guys here. Is I let them coach. You know, I, I interject where I, I need to, and I tell them if there's if something's being done I don't that I'm not really cool with I'll let them know but for the most part they know what I want they know what I'm looking for and you know they they do a great job of coaching our kids here and and I think it's uh it's pretty cool the way that that dynamic is and it takes a lot for head coach to do that it's not easy and so I give those guys a lot of credit and a lot and I have a lot of respect for them for letting me do that and Mm -hmm. so that's how I've learned to kind of be the way I am Right, right, and so uh, you know, so I guess now that we're now that we're at Sacred Heart, tell us how that job um, came about. How did you end up back at Sacred Heart as the head coach? It was an opportunity, um, and when we were we had we had a lot of success at Hartford. We won the mm-hmm. conference in eleven, twelve, and thirteen. We made the playoffs, and we were 
we were a very good team. And, um, you know, we had recruited so many good players that eventually won it again in 2016, the America East. So it's like we, I knew they were going to be good. I knew Hartford was going to be good for a long time. And I had a great job there, but I wanted to be a head coach. And, mm-hmm. and I looked at the opportunity here at Sacred Heart as a spot where I could go back to Fairfield, a place that I was comfortable with at Sacred Heart. I could be back in the Fairfield, in the town of Fairfield. It was actually closer. Um, it paid more, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And it gave me an opportunity to run my own shop. And I think that looking back on it, it was, again, I, I don't, I, I, it was the best decision I ever made. And um, it was not an easy decision though. I was on the phone right. with, again, with coach Kearney a lot and actually coach Alberici helped me out a lot with this job and talking to um talking to coach Lawrence consistently. And then like I, all, all the guys that were there for me, all the people that, that have helped me out my family, especially, but then outside of my family and, and uh, just talking to Double D a lot about it. And he's like my uncle, you know, he's like my, uh, like my big brother, my, my, uh, like Uncle Double. My kids call him Uncle Double. And so, like, <laughs> just talking to Double a lot about it and talking to Coach Tierney and Coach Metz and um, all the people and Coach Lawrence about it. And um, it was, it seemed like the right fit. It seemed like something yeah. I could do. And um, I thought that I could make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so far so good, knock on wood. So it seems like the common thread that I'm sort of hearing is it it, it sounds like your career can basically just be summed up by the connections that you made, not only for the job opportunities, but also sort of, you know, the mentorship when you need it, calling up, you know, Coach Tierney and Coach Match Bauer and Coach Alberici when you need some advice. Um, It's all about sort of the tight-knit community in lacrosse. Is that right? Yeah, Coach Tierney told me something after I left Fairfield, and I was actually on the phone with him the night before my Lafayette interview because I was nervous. It was my really, it was my first interview I'd ever gone on. I went and met with Coach hmm. Coach Mangan, so I was like, I was really nervous, right. and I was like, "Don't say Lehigh, don't say Lehigh, don't say Lehigh." <laughs> and what's the first thing I said when I showed up? Of yeah, course, I Lehigh. Applied to Lehigh. I was like, "Oh, you <laughs> dummy, we're stupid." But um, and he's like, "You mean Lafayette?" And I was like, "Oh boy, I'm not getting this job." And uh, <laughs> So I was so nervous and, and coach, I was again, just talking to double about some stuff. And then coach Janney was like, you know, what you got to remember is it's not about, it, it's not about the two hours of the, of the year that we're opponents. It's about the other 364 days that we have to get along. And it's about the relationships we make. That's the most important thing about this game. And, and yeah. I've always remembered that. And it's something that's kind of stuck with me forever. And it's something that, as I go about my daily life, when people ask for my help, I think about that. It's like, it's the relationships we make and the people that look to us for guidance and assistance that are, that make the difference and really why we coach. Right. So that's really, I think what, what stayed with me and allowed me to kind of move up, move up, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, mm-hmm. but, to be where I am. It's about the relationships you make and the people you meet and how you treat each other. Right. You know, it's not hard to say thank you and please and hello and good morning. And even if you're arguing with somebody, you know, arguments aren't don't last forever. And it's, holding a grudge just burns energy. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, you're you're absolutely right. And that and that story about Coach Tierney is. Uh, I mean, the the one thing that I always think about is, um, and I never understood why he was doing it until afterwards was uh, after every single game where I would play him at Virginia, he would pull my dad aside 
and just give my dad little pointers to pass along to me about things that I needed to do better. Right. And I, <laughs> and I remember being like, you know, why is he doing that? Why, why would he even take the time? I, I thought maybe it was, you know, he's, he's family friends, but I mean, now looking back on it, it's just so obvious that, you know, that's his outlook, right? It's like, yeah, I'm going to play Joe once, maybe twice a year, but I want to develop a relationship with his family uh, or I do already have a relationship with his family and I want to get back to that. I mean, he's just, that's a, that's a great coach Tierney story. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm keeping my eye on the clock here, but uh, if you can, uh, can you walk us through what a typical in-season practice is for Sacred Heart? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it depends on the day. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of, what we do is we structure the week depending on what we're looking forward to for Saturday. It depends if we have a Saturday game or Tuesday game. So, Monday is just kind of a typical, um, it's really a skills practice where we do some extra stretching. We do a lot of shooting. We do a lot of like uh, defensive walkthrough stuff and Mm -hmm. slide and recover drills and skeleton defense and offensive stuff. And we compete a little bit, but um, it's really just about kind of maintenance and the guys and getting the guys that didn't play on Saturday reps to get them better. Um, And then, so that's, that's a, it's a shorter day. We do a lot more film. We start film at like 9.30, so we do film from like 9.30 to 10.15, and then we go out on the field at 10.30, and our strength coach comes out and stretches us out and does some stuff. And then Tuesday's a little bit more difficult. Tuesday's our offensive day, so we start doing an offensive game plan on Tuesdays. But then we uh, we, we go – we start we, – we also do our defensive uh, – some defensive stuff that day too. So we're in the film room again at 9.30 till about – and we get in a little bit earlier, like nine o'clock on Tuesday in the film room. Um, so we get out on the field at 10 and it's more of kind of an offensive focus day, but we're still working on us. We're focusing on sacred heart and the things that we need to do to get better. Then uh, Wednesday is a defensive day. We start working on our defensive game plan or we continue to work on our defensive game plan, but it's more focused on a defensive game plan on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, we call it warrior Wednesday where we, uh, we battle for our belt and the guy that, has a good week of practice from Wednesday to Wednesday or does something to be a good teammate. will earn the belt at the end of the day. Um, so where you can see that all that stuff on Twitter and, and Instagram and all that jazz that our assistant coaches, I don't know anything about. I'm terrible at the, at the social media, <laughs> but, um, and so we, uh, we do that and that's, it's a, it's a, it's a, but it's a pretty competitive practice. It's a lot of, um, it's, it's a lot of up and down. It's a lot of, mm-hmm. um, it's a defensive practice. You know, so there's a violence of action is the, right. the best way to describe it. Right. And then uh, Thursday, we start kind of pulling back on that stuff. We condition a lot on Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, mm-hmm. we start, we, we kind of fine-tune the game plans on both sides. We get up and down a lot. We play, you do a lot of transition. I mean, our, our whole world is based on transition. We're doing transition every day. Um, but when Thursday is a real transition practice. We're getting up and down. We're, we're working on rising clears. We're doing man up, man down, special team stuff. We do our scouting report on Thursday. And then Friday we get into uh, pregame practice, which is not just like a walkthrough. It's actually we practice. Like we'll practice a little shorter and we'll do some fun drills. It's more up-tempo stuff. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll review the game plan on both sides of the ball one more time. And Saturday we're rolling. Saturday we're playing. Mm-hmm. So uh... – so a couple of questions from all that. So one, we also lift on Monday and Thursday morning at seven a.m. Where lifting is very important to us. I'm a, I'm, I'm very big into that and big into making sure that you're you're getting stronger, not just maintaining strength. So we we lift in our with our strength and conditioning guys twice a week as well. 
Right, right. And so, uh, so a couple of questions. So one, the, the Warrior Wednesday stuff, I'm kind of curious, what are, can you give some of the examples about the things that players have won the belt for? I'll give you a better example. Our, uh, our athletic trainer got hit in the face with a ball while she was treating somebody and just continued to treat somebody. She got the belt once, <laughs> you know, so like that's something right. like that. And it was one of our other guys, like it's, it's not necessarily one thing, it's something that you see guys doing over the week. Like if guys do a little bit extra, they do some extra stuff. Like, uh, you know, you see a guy grabbing and doing a little bit extra ball hunt. If we, we notice guys are doing extra work, if we notice guys are helping other guys out with certain things, mm-hmm. if we notice guys are doing the little things to make us better, then right. that guy is going to get, that guy's going to earn the belt. That guy's mm-hmm. going to earn the belt for the week. And it usually doesn't go to a starter. It usually goes to like a, one of the a second team guy or like a, a backup goalie or um, like our fifth defenseman or our fourth or fifth attackman. So that's usually who it goes to because those guys are so important to getting the starters ready for the game. Like if they don't play hard in practice, we're not going to be good. We're right. never going to win games. And so we want to honor those guys and, and show that they're important. They're just as important as, as a Max Tuttle or a Joseph JC or, or a, or a Brooks Sutton or a Landon Kramer. Like those guys mm-hmm. are just as important to get those guys prepared. Right. Right. And so you said you guys are in the gym at, at 7am. Is there, is there a reason why, you guys start so early or is that just a, a function of, you know, uh, th- that's when you guys can get the room? So, well, it's a co- number one, it started as just a function, but then it just ended up being it's the easiest way to get everybody there at the same time. But um, right. I, uh, I, I believe that we here, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to make sure that our guys are prepared for when they leave us. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for the rest of their lives, they're going to be waking up at five, six, 7 a.m. to go right. to work. And like I wake up Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 4 a.m. I'm on the road by 4.30. I'm in the gym at 5. You know, it's like I do it. It's something that I do all the time, and it's something that I've conditioned myself to. My son comes with me sometimes. Um, but it's one of those things where our guys are going to be doing that for the rest of their lives. They have right. to be able to function at 8 a.m. or mm-hmm. else they're not going to be successful and they're not going to do well in their careers. And right. so that's one of the reasons we do it. We start the week right. at 7 a.m. You know, we start the week bright and early Monday morning, thinking about what we're doing next and working on what we did on Saturday, but really concerning ourselves with who's next and thinking about the next play and the next game, the next moment. And that's, right. that's, that's right. what, that's what it's all about. And that's what it's all based on. Right. That, that's exactly why I asked that question. Cause that's something that I, I always look back on in my, you know, my time in college. And I actually don't know why, uh, you know, at Virginia, we basically, at Virginia and Syracuse, we, we practiced at two, uh, and then I think we went to the gym at four. Um, and I always wish that, uh, you know, now that I'm older and a little bit more mature, I wish that I would have, it would have been much better if we were getting in the gym or starting practice early because it would have conditioned my body to that. I would have got used to it. So by the time I graduated college, you know, that would just be another thing. Um, also, I bet you I would have been way more focused if, uh, if I knew that I had a 6 a.m. practice <laughs> the night before, it would have been very, would have been much different. Um, but, uh, but back to your guys' schedule. Um, so you guys, you mentioned that you guys look at film um, and you said that Monday and Tuesday, you guys are basically focusing on yourself. Are you guys, are you guys watching film Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of yourself and then the opponent Thursday, Friday? How, how does that work? Uh, Monday's all us. We start with, 
I go in there and I do special team stuff. So right in clearing transition, um, face offs, really just ride to clear transition stuff. And I talk about that and kind of the, I, a little recap of what I saw on both sides of the ball and my take. And we split up an O and D and often coach Chavin takes the offense and goes to one room and coach Kelly takes the D and goes to another room. And I kind of bop back and forth, bounce back and forth from each, uh, from each room and listen to what's going on. Um, but we, so we're, is a lot of stuff on us on Monday, Tuesday's kind of a mix. Um, it's finishing up us, but really kind of starting to focus on the other team. And then Wednesday's all the other team, Thursday's all the other team, Friday's all the other team. And then we're playing, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, we spend two days on us and three days on the other team is pretty gotcha. much how we, we figure it out. And even when we're focusing on the other team, it's more about us than it is the other team. Like we're mm-hmm. kind of saying, listen, we play this way. This is what we do. We're not going to change right. because we're playing. We're not going to change this because we play Georgetown. You know, mm-hmm. they were very good. And, but we're like, this is what we do. This is how we play. You know, we're right. just going to go play and, and we'll see what happens. And like this mm-hmm. week we'll play Furman. It's going to be the same thing. It's like we have to concentrate to make sure that we know what we're doing so we have a game plan. But we play a certain style. We play our game. We're going to go mm-hmm. play our game. And whatever right. happens, happens. We'll figure right. it out as we go. Right. And when you guys are looking at upcoming opponents, uh, how closely into the details are you looking? Are you looking at general tendencies or are you looking at individual players? I think it's both. I think you have to. I think you have. If you don't do both, then you're not giving your kids an opportunity to be successful. Take like anything else. You just you got to be prepared. Um, and but we try to start in uh, September to try to do as much as we can in the fall to prepare them for as much as we can. So when it's time to play, we can just revert back to be like, hey, remember when we did this? Remember when we right. did this drill? Remember this is why we did this drill because now mm-hmm. we're working. Now we're working it on it here. You know what I mean? So we um we kind of plan it out from the beginning just so we can figure it out as we're going. Most of the teams we play, we've already played. We played right. in years past. So it's, there's not much that's going to change from year to year. There really mm-hmm. isn't. Right. Right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and then, so, and one final question on, uh, on you guys, I guess this is more specifically about you as a head coach, how are you preparing for an upcoming opponent? What are you thinking about? How are you preparing yourself for say that game on, on Saturday? How I cannot screw it up. How can I stay out of the way? No, I'm just kidding. Um, honestly, for me, I, I tell I, it's I want to know every I know I want to know everything that's going on. I want to know what we're doing defensively, and I talked it out with Coach Skelly. Like actually, as soon as we're done here, him and I are going to sit down and talk about our game plan. Mm-hmm. I talked the offensive stuff out with Coach Chanachuk, Matcher Penny, who does our face-off stuff. I talked with him about our face-off stuff. Um, but by Tuesday, by like. Usually by now on Tuesday, we're all good. We know what we want to do. Because we've started talking about it, honestly, from like Thursday or Friday from last week. Um, right. But when it, on game day, I'm, I'm just kind of – I try to – I used to be like a crazy person. I used to get all fired up and go in there and scream and yell and do all these speeches. But I'm like, now I still am fired up and I'm still excited because that's me. Like I'm just an emotional person. And, right. and, and we – our team is – thrives on emotion our team thrives on energy and we always mm-hmm. talk to two things you can control are energy and compete level and so we're we're always competing and we're always trying to have a high energy level mm-hmm. um but like for me on saturday i i just want to i i want to i try to tell myself every game have fun if my wife says mm-hmm. that to me hey good luck today have fun and, right. and i see that every single time i send an email that's about the game i put, play fast play hard have fun 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like there's only so many of these we get, man. You know, right. you, 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 there's only so Listen, many of these yeah. we get to have, so we got to enjoy them. Right. We got to right. play Absolutely. hard. We got to work hard. We got to play hard. We got to do our jobs and we got to run the systems and, and, and do the simple things and do the little things right. But we got to mm-hmm. enjoy it because right. what, why, why else are we doing it? It's pointless unless we do that. Right. So that's my right. mindset. And, you know, that next play, I'm always thinking about trying to think about the next play. So mm-hmm. We just turned it over. Oh, well, what are we going to do next? Right. But, and that's my thing to our guys all the time. Like, what's the next play? Make the next play. Think about the next play. Right. If you screwed up, make up for it. Don't worry about it. It happened. You can't change it. Let's just make up for it. Let's keep working at it. Right. Right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, so just uh, let, let's talk a little bit about the rule changes before I let you go. And, uh, you know, again, I am keep, keeping the eye on the clock. Um, talk about how, how do you guys feel about the shot clock? How is it, uh, you know, how is it affecting your strategy? How are you guys preparing for it? Uh, it doesn't really affect us at all. We have been kind of preparing for it since we changed our system and style of play in 2016-17. It's like we are, right. we're conditioned to play fast, so mm-hmm. we're used to playing it. And having Mike here has been great because he's given us the opportunity to play it from like that. He's given us the, the MLL view of it a little bit, so we right. our guys are very confident in the way he's teaching them to do things on the offensive side of the ball and on the defensive side of the ball. It's mm-hmm. just you got to play defense for less time. You know, it's like right. you can – you can do a little bit different things now because you're doing it for less time. And, um, you know, it's, it's allowed us to, we don't panic. We just kind of play. And if there's a shot clock violation, there's a shot clock violation. We'll write it right. back. Let's write it right. back. to get a fresh 80, you know, and that's right. kind of our mindset. Um, but right. we're, we're, I'm excited about it. I, I like all the new rule changes. I think that being on the committee, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a great few days and, um, I think the committee did a great job, and I'm excited to see kind of this year to see how things go with all the changes we made. Right, right. And what about the dive? How you guys? Um, well, I, you know what? Actually, I guess two questions about this. Since you were on the committee, um, one, I, I am kind of curious where uh, you know how the dive got introduced back into the conversation, and was that something you guys have been talking about for years? It's just, you know. I, I I had never I had never really played with the dive until I got to the MLL. The dive was never really a part of my playing career at any level. Um, and from my understanding, the dive was made illegal for player safety, and and it's back. And I'm I'm sort of curious as to why. So maybe you can um, talk a little bit more about how that got reintroduced. Well, we so um, there was actually no hard evidence saying that it was a safety issue other than a couple of incidences, very rare incidences for the amount of time that happened. Right. And so that was kind of something where we, we took very, we did a lot of care in thinking about player safety. However, uh, it was still a very big emphasis when we talked about it. And so when we decided to make the dive legal, we put in certain parameters to do, to do it in a way that we thought would be safest for the goalie and for the diving player. Um, but really it came about because of the semifinal game between, um, between Denver and Yale, or not Yale, and, um, and Maryland. You know, those right. two goals both should have counted, but they right. didn't because a player was in the crease even though the ball had gone in the net. And so we hmm. thought that was unfair. Those are two great athletic plays that both should have counted, and they didn't for no reason. Right. Um, the rule didn't make any sense. So we wanted to make it to where it was 
if the ball went in the back of the net before you hit the crease, before you hit the ground, it's a goal. And that kind of morphed into, well, let's bring the dive back. And right. there was players diving. I mean, we lost, we lost four games last year because goals were called back on dives. When mm. the, the ball was clearly in the back of the net, but our guy just ended up in the crease, even though he was pushed in the crease twice. Right. And the other time, his like toe was, it was like the, the Maryland goal where his, the, his cleat was in the crease. So it was no goal. Right, you know, right. and so I was like, this is, it's not fair. And other, all the other coaches agreed. We just had to try to figure out a way to, to work on it. And all the other people in the committee, just, we had to find a way to work on it, to make it so it was fair, legal and safe. And I think we've done that. And it's, you know, it's going to take some time for us to figure it out and for us to figure it out, but so far so good. And I mean, I don't know right. how many issues there have been in this past weekend, but it seems to be working pretty good so far. Right, right. And and what have you guys, maybe this is the same answer, but what have you guys done to prepare for it at all, if anything? Oh, it's awesome. Like, we put the mat out. We got guys diving all <laughs> over the place. I'm even doing it. I'm like, ooh, yeah. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, we tell our guys, just be smart with it. You know, right. there's certain, we're like, we don't really need to do it much in practice because you don't want to hurt yourself. You know, we don't want to hurt our goalies. So we, it's one of those things where if you have the opportunity to do it, do it. If you right. don't, don't you know it's like don't you don't it's still it's still a high risk high reward play which we kind of play like that so it it Mm -hmm. works it works in our favor but it's just if it's there it's an opportunity take it right right yeah it fits into your game pretty well um all right well coach listen uh you know i don't want to keep you too much longer i really do appreciate you taking the time i had a blast having a conversation but there's one question i've asked everybody who's come on the show um, what are three things that everyone should do every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> number one, I think it's take some time for yourself every day, whether it's 10, mm-hmm. 15 minutes to just kind of sit down and watch TV or read a book or, or go to the gym or whatever it is, you know, take some time for yourself every day. Um, number two, be grateful and thankful for what we have as individuals. Mm -hmm. Um, We're pretty lucky to do what we do and play the sport we play and be able to have what we have. And so I think it's important to take stock of that daily. And, and honestly, the number one thing, love your family, Mm -hmm. like love your family. And that includes your teammates. That includes the guys on your team. That includes your, your best friends. If that, if you're a religious person, that includes being, that includes God or whoever, whatever you worship. It's, Love your family and let them know that because you never know, you know, tell your family how much you love them and, and, and take care of, take care of your teammates and take care of your family because they're the people that are going to be there when you need them. And they're they're going to be the people that you're going to, that they're going to need you at one point. So right. I think those are the three things. Take some time for yourself. Um, love your family. And, uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. Yep. All right, well, Coach, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, I really had a blast. No problem, Joe. Thank you. Good luck with everything, and if you need anything else, let me know. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Yavoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at theseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, 
please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a traveler club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time, keep working and keep getting better.